At this time, any kids who are headed to our Covenant Kids worship may be dismissed. That's for those uh, four years to first, second grade age. We offer this as a help for them and families. If uh, kids want to be in here with us, we always welcome them to stay here as well. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 38. Before we get there, I was thinking about how when I was a kid, I loved mysteries. I read the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew series all the way through. I watched Scooby-Doo every chance I could get. My parents even let me watch Columbo and Murder, She Wrote. I couldn't get enough. I've just dated myself really badly there. Um, Our family has started playing Clue, and again, I'm back in my mystery-solving mojo, even though I didn't win last night. I was kind of upset about that. But uh, depending on the kind of mystery that we are exploring, we can... Those mysteries can be solved through detective work, through mathematical equations, through scientific observation, or exploration. And it's interesting that one of the biggest mysteries that seems to have people's attention and capture our imagination is when will the world as we know it end? The apocalypse or the end of the world is a popular theme for books and movies. Even songs have attempted the theme from Johnny Cash's When the Man Comes Around to R.E.M.'s My Generation's Theme, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and more recently, Robbie Williams' Millennium. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of movies that deal with the apocalypse or end of the world will look like, from Terminator series to zombie genres, even comedies get in on the act of when the world, what it would look like for the world to end. The idea of the world coming to an end feeds our fears, but it also captures our imaginations. We want to know when, how, what this event will be like. People have spent their whole lives trying to figure out when the world will, quote, end From Harold Camping to the Mayan apocalypse, predictions for centuries have abounded. Harold Camping, who claimed to be a Christian, and many of the but many of those predictors uh, are not believers in Christ. People who have tried to predict the end are not believers. So the end of the world, or Jesus' second coming, as would be more correctly stated for those of us who our Christians who believe in the Bible, is something that both believer and unbeliever alike want to know about. Everybody seems to want to know. Let's read what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 38. This is the second part of what we looked at last week. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 
And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is true. And Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this day. The truth of your word would not only transform us, but Lord, that we'd be conformed to it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we looked at the first part of the prophecy of Jesus, where he focuses on the destruction of the temple. We were confronted with the question from the text, do we understand the significance of Jesus' prophecy? And we looked at the significance of the temple and the lives of God's people and the significance of its destruction, that in the destruction of the temple, God was pouring out his judgment on those who rejected Jesus and his judgment on the sacrificial system. The temple, we said, doesn't need to be rebuilt for the end to come, as some might believe. This has already come and was fulfilled. And in that fulfillment, the work of Jesus was once again affirmed from heaven above, that the sacrifice had been made fully and finally in Jesus And that we are living stones, as Paul says, through the true and living stone that is Jesus. We are now the true temple, the temple in the world to glorify God and be where God dwells with his people and where he is present in the world. Because the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and he in us, the church is the dwelling place of God on earth. And with that in mind... With that background from last week, we come to the second part of Jesus' prophecy, what is referred to as his second coming. Now, theologians since the beginning of the New Testament church have pretty much disagreed on what Jesus is predicting here. Um, Though much of the popular conception is of this being primarily prophecy of the end times in which this whole section, last week's and this week's, Uh, in which the temple must be rebuilt for this prophecy to come to pass is a fairly new interpretation, gaining a lot of traction uh, within the past 120 years, primarily since the Schofield Study Bible was printed, which interprets this passage and others from a dispensational understanding. But in light of what we saw last week, this is a deficient view. And yet, Jesus will come again as he promised And he gives us some help in discerning when it will come to pass. 
And so we have to ask ourselves from last week and this week, instead of trying to decipher when Jesus will come again, we are, trying, we are to keep watch and discern. See, many want to decipher, right? Whether it's through mathematical computation, trying to figure out all the days and things in the Old Testament and Revelation and trying to figure it out, whether it's through investigation, trying to piece together different texts and trying to place them all together and to create a timeline. Instead of trying to decipher when Jesus will come again, we are to keep watch and discern. That is what Jesus is calling his people and us to do. Following what Jesus has said in our text last week, in our text this week, those that seek to decipher, actually Jesus has strong words for them that we heard last week. Those who seek to decipher are actually those that lead themselves and others astray and keep us from living as those who are called to discern the times and be about the work of the king until he comes again. And so we see our main point this morning is because Jesus is coming again, he calls us to stay awake, right? He ends his, his uh, prophecy in verse 36. He says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so because Jesus is coming again, he calls us to stay awake. And at the beginning of our text, Jesus picks up the same kind of signs that were present in the destruction of the temple, right? Signs in the heavens and on the earth. He said, but he said, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of sea and of waves. People fainting with fear foreboding of what is coming on the world. Same type of language that he uses when he talks about the uh, destruction of the temple, right? He's, he talks about how there will be these signs in the, in the heavens and there will be earthquakes uh, in various places, famines and pestilences, right? There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So Jesus is using the same type of language to talk about what would happen in the destruction, before the destruction of the temple, and what will come when he comes again. And in verse 28, in light of what Jesus has said, this sounds kind of scary, right? All this distress that might come on the earth, the signs in the heavens, people fainting with fear, with foreboding. In verse uh, 28, Jesus assures us, his followers then and now, now then these things begin to take place. Straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Right? Jesus assures us that the second coming is not a reason for fear for those who are his followers, but a reason to stand tall and to look up into the heavens because life in the presence of the eternal one is about to begin. We are to look and fix our eyes on the one who is coming to set the world right, to conquer the final death blow to Satan, death, and evil. This is the encouragement to the believer to exercise faith when we are confronted with events that seem apocalyptic or are apocalyptic in what is happening around us. So don't be like the pagans who have reason to fear 
the end. Look to see Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him, the one who brings the glory of the eternal kingdom. And He gives us, His followers then and now, a parable, an illustration to help us understand what He's talking about. What are, why are these signs significant? Both from last week, the temple's destruction, and as he talks about this coming. Look at the fig tree, he says, and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus gives us an illustration. He says, you know, we're coming up to that time of the year. We'll start to see the leaves, the buds on the trees, and the leaves start to come out. And when we see that, we know what's next. <laughs> Summer is coming. Yay, warm weather, beaches and pools and all the cookouts and all the fun that summer brings with it. Not having to go to school, right? We see the leaves coming. We know what is to come. It's summertime. Jesus is saying, just like we look at the trees to know that summer is just about here, these signs that he has given us will be reminders to us that his kingdom is at hand, that the destruction of the temple, as he talked about last week, is at hand, that his coming again is at hand. These things are happening when the heavens shake and the earth is in chaos like storm-tossed sea, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And this, knowing that the kingdom of God is near is wonderful news for those who are in Christ because Jesus says you will know your full redemption and the coming of the kingdom. And both are near when these things are happening. There is always this tension in Jesus' teaching. The tension between the now and the not yet runs through everything that Jesus teaches about the advent of the kingdom. The kingdom has come, yet it's not come in its fullness. That tension is also in Jesus' prophecies about the end. There is this tension of the kingdom's arrival and his death and resurrection, the final consummation or restoration. These two things do not happen at once. There's this tension felt in this prophecy that we see all these things and yet they're not yet. They will see them, but it's not yet to come in its fullness. The destruction of Jerusalem, of the temple, was a foreshadowing of what is to come. It is not yet. In verses 32 and 33, we get kind of to the crux of what is going on in this passage. There is much disagreement in what Jesus means here. Some believe that Jesus got it wrong since the generation that he is speaking of didn't see the second coming, right? Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so some say, you know what? Second coming didn't happen this, because this generation did not see it. 
Others believe that this generation means the continuing line of unbelievers, those who rejected God in the past, those who rejected God in the present when Jesus is talking, those who reject God in the future. And when heavens and earth are violently shaken, God will one last time try to move them to repentance. And so others would say that everything that Jesus predicted in A.D. 70 when, the, when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed included his second coming. What are called full preterists, that they believe that everything that Jesus talks about here happened in A.D. 70 and that that generation saw all of this. Those are three options, and there may be a few more. I have another option for you. I have another option that I believe is how we should interpret this. If you remember last summer when uh, Dr. Tim LaCroix preached from Luke 17, 20 through 37, he, this was Jesus' discourse on the coming of the kingdom. He reminded us the pattern of Old Testament prophecy. Right? In the Old Testament, there is a near and far fulfillment. And often the signs and the circumstances of the near event give us a prequel or a picture of what is to come. That's what's happening here. As I mentioned last week, the temple was where the Jewish believer believed that heaven and earth met. The temple being destroyed would be as if Heaven and earth had passed away in the mind of the first century Jew. You might say, oh, how does that? I can't even comprehend that. Well, many in our culture feel the same way. If the United States ceased to exist, many would feel as if it was the end of the world. Think about that in context even deeper and stronger, that the place where you met with your God, the true God of the universe, the place that where heaven and earth met, where God dwelled with his people, if that place, if that city was destroyed, in your mind, it would be like heaven and earth had passed away. Many people would see it in that way. And so Jesus is saying that all this will take place before this generation passes away. And even though this will happen, his word will not pass away, right? The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem does not mean that his word, that the word of God does not pass away, that what he had given to the prophets, what he himself proclaimed does not pass away with the destruction of the temple, with the destruction that was to come. So let's go back to verse 27 to help us understand how Jesus could be talking about the destruction of the temple as well as his second coming all at the same time. In verse 27, we read these words, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When we think of coming, the Greek word 
Erkomai, we think of someone coming to us. But Erkomai can also have a sense of going, right? We read from Daniel 7 this morning. And Jesus is no doubt taking the image from Daniel 7 when he uses the title Son of Man. And if Jesus has in his mind Daniel 7, we too, when we read his prediction, his prophecy, must have Daniel 7 in mind because that's what Jesus had in mind. And in Daniel 7, we understand that the, that the one like the Son of Man is not coming to earth, but he is coming or going to the ancient of days. Who is the ancient of days? God the Father. Jesus, according to Daniel 7, is arriving to take his kingdom, to receive his kingdom, to receive the throne on the clouds. The Son of Man is going to the Ancient of Days. It's enthronement language. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 11, right? This is kind of fast-forwarding in Luke's writing. What do the angels say to the disciples as Jesus ascends into heaven? They're standing there looking into heaven. What do the angels say? They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who came, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. If we take Jesus' words in relation to Daniel 7 and take what the angels told the disciples in Jesus' ascension, it is easy to see that the words, the way that Jesus is framing this and how he can say this generation will not pass away is that he is taking that understanding from Daniel 7 of him ascending to the throne of heaven. He is coming, he's going from us, but he's coming with power and glory into his kingdom to sit on the throne of heaven. And so that generation saw the Son of Man coming or going into his kingdom to sit on his throne. And likewise, When he comes again, according to the angels, he will come in the same way, and we will see him coming with great power and glory. You see, the host of heaven saw Jesus ascend to the throne in power and glory, coming with his armies, coming with the, as the one who is to sit on the throne and reign forever and ever and ever. The disciples saw Jesus taken up in the clouds the angels aren't saying Jesus is going to come again on a cloud floating down from heaven. <laughs> right? The angels are saying to the disciples, as Jesus was seen and received into heaven, that is how he is going to come again. The same power and glory that he ascended into heaven and that the hosts of heaven proclaimed and glorified him as he came into heaven will be the same way that he comes back to earth. Not floating down on a cloud, 
but coming on the clouds. As we read in the Psalms, riding on his chariot of the clouds. He will come and glory and power. And he will make all things new. He is coming with great glory and power. And like his previous warnings against false prophets claiming to be Jesus, Jesus gives another warning at the end of his prophecy of the things that can keep us from being watchful and ready, ready for his coming in power and glory. Jesus says to beware of those things in, that, in the life that cloud our awareness of his return. He says dissipation and drunkenness and cares of life. These are the kinds of distractions Jesus warned his disciples about in the parable of the sower earlier in Luke's gospel, where the seed among the thorns represents people who are choked out by anxieties and riches and pleasures of this life and do not bear fruit to maturity. The followers of Jesus are called to avoid these things in order to maintain a clear mind, to stay awake, to be watchful, to prepare to stand before the Son of Man. To stand before the Son of Man, Jesus is reminding us, his people, that it is by staying attuned to fixing our eyes on him, to being those who know that our hope is only in him, are the ones who can stand before the Son of Man when he returns. Just like the disciples then, we too are to be on guard to understand and to stay awake. We too will experience many of the same things that were prophesied by Jesus. The hardships of this life are still present. At times the world may seem like it's coming to an end. Wars and rumors of wars, natural disasters. But even if it is, even if it is the time for Christ's return, Jesus is on the throne and we are his people. He has ascended and he'll return again. We don't know exactly when, but it shouldn't matter. Jesus is king of the kingdom. It has come and it is coming in its fullness. The destruction of the temple was proof to those alive that Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king, was indeed where he said he'd be on the throne of heaven. His ascension was seen by those, his disciples, to prove that he had come into his kingdom as one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And we are to be on guard, to understand, to stay awake to be about the work of the king and his kingdom until he comes. Whatever we think is unfathomable, Jesus is greater. He's greater than the temple that was destroyed. He's greater than the nations. They will be destroyed. He's greater than any ruler. They will bow down. Jesus is greater. And if we follow or seek predictions or listen to falsehood, we too are in danger of destruction. But when it's Jesus we follow, his voice we listen to, his promises we hold on to, he will not lead us astray. So let the reader understand. Be on guard. Understand and stay awake as we await 
the return of the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our King Jesus has ascended to the throne of heaven, that you, the Ancient of Days, have given him all majesty and power, glory and honor. And Lord, we await for his coming again. As he came into the, your heavenly presence, Lord, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, to make all things new. And Lord, we await with expectant hope. Help us to be awake. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to preaching of God's word by standing and singing Lion of Judah.